Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy, and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 43 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. And in today's episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different and actually answer some of your questions, particularly those questions that people have submitted in a survey that I have people fill out in my free connection and communication mini course. So basically, when you sign up to that course, um, obviously you get a bunch of videos that give you an insight into my training philosophy and help you get started in your own horsemanship journey, but I also have a survey in there so I can get to understand you, what issues you're struggling with, so I can better serve you and better help you. Um, And recently I had a little look at all the different questions and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things in here that I thought I would do a podcast episode on it. And I asked people on Instagram, whether they'd be interested in that. And, uh, the, it was a, it was a definite yes from most people. So, um, here I am and I'm going to go over the questions. I have actually, I did have a little look and I started reading through them and then I stopped myself because I really want the, my answers to be really organic and authentic and non-scripted. Um, but this also means that I'm sure that after one or two hours after recording this episode, I'll go, oh, damn, I should have mentioned this or I should have said that. Um, so, yes, I, I just wanted to let you know that um, this is not an in-depth kind of answer to each of these questions, but you'll hear my first thoughts and my first recommendations in response to these questions. If you haven't already signed up for the free connection and communication mini course, make sure you do so. It's completely free. It gives you an overview of my training philosophy and introduces you to the CPRR method, which has been a game changer in my own horsemanship. And it's perfect for anyone who might be listening to this podcast and agreeing with the philosophies and what you're hearing, but you're not really sure how to start or where to start or how to implement these things into practice. But I recognize there's also a bunch of you who are kind of past the basics. You're already into horsemanship. You're already past those fundamental things, um, including some of my in-person students. And I love teaching more advanced students as well. Um, And I just wanted to let you know that for you guys, I don't have a more advanced program yet. But if you think of something that you would love to learn from me, please let me know. But otherwise, I do have online coaching options as well. And sometimes the more we know, the more we overanalyze and we can't see the the forest through the trees, so to speak. And there is just so much value in just talking through your horse problems, large or small, with someone else who, um, like myself, who can be very objective and come from a really non-judgmental, non-biased place. Um, And I think because I have got a broad experience in different areas and, you know, using positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, um, coming from the mainstream equestrian world, but also diving deep into horsemanship, 
Sometimes I can just give you a little perspective shift or um, a different way of looking at things that can make all the difference. And I've had a few people um, take me up on this offer of doing some coaching. And sometimes, you know, we just need to get confirmation that we're on the right track. So anyway, no matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, if you're interested in having a coaching session with me, you can just jump on over to my website, amaliadempsey.com. Click on coaching and um, once you purchase your coaching session, it'll take you straight to a page where you can book in a time where we meet over Zoom for 45 minutes. Alrighty, let's get started with these questions. So basically in the connection and communication mini course survey, there is a question that says, if you could sit down and have coffee with Amalia, what three questions would you ask? And I like this question because it's it's straight up, you know, I'm going to hear from you exactly what you want to know from me. So let's start scrolling through these questions and um, I'm going to pick out the ones that stand out to me and we'll actually, I might just go through them in order um, and I'll, I'll just start rambling on. So if you could sit down and have coffee with Amalia, what three questions would you ask? And if you're listening to this and you're, and you have your own questions in your head and you're not in the free connection and communication mini course, just send me an email um, or message me on Instagram and let me know those three questions. I would seriously love to know. Okay. First one, Training for a four-year-old, what is the best groundwork for dressage and loading? Okay, so four-year-old, young horse, um, may or may not be started under saddle. Um, My preference is, my girls were started pretty young, but it was done very slowly. Um, But my preference is probably now just to wait until four or five. Um, But there's plenty you can do on the ground with a young horse or with a horse that's not started under saddle to prepare them for riding and to prepare them for life in whatever discipline you're choosing to do with them. And before before you even think about the discipline really, you need to be thinking about the fundamentals because a dressage horse is still a horse at the end of the day. And I think pretty much any horse, no matter what discipline they go into, needs a similar foundation in terms of the fundamentals. And of course I have my Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy, which basically outlines all the fundamental groundwork. And there's also one module on riding that every that I believe every horse needs. But the overarching fundamentals are connection, confidence, and communication. And when you think about it, if your horse has got those three things, there's pretty much nothing that you can't achieve right? Obviously it's more nuanced. There are lots of little steps and shaping and and lots of things you um, need to do, but the overarching pillars are those three things. And I teach you how to get those three things with your horse in Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy. Um, But in terms of the uh, best groundwork for dressage, once you've established those fundamentals, there are things you can do to help prepare your horse physically for riding and for the sport of dressage. And I actually did a post on this recently on Instagram. Let me just get it out actually and read um, some of the things to you on there because I was speaking about the different things that I do to help my horses on the ground to improve their body awareness, symmetry, mobility, and strength. Um, And of course, this complements the ridden work. So I wouldn't do these things with a horse that doesn't have the fundamentals simply because 
it could be confusing. Um, they, they need to be in a problem-solving mindset. They need to understand pressure and release and reward um, consistently uh, before I can try these things. Otherwise, it's just going to be a bit confusing for them. Anyway, so I do target stretches. So that's, um, in my opinion, way easier and better than carrot stretches and more clear for the horse. Um, and that just helps to move the horse in different positions so we can start to work on their left-right symmetry. I do in-hand lateral work. So leg yield, shoulder in, travers, half pass, rombers, um, and walk pirouettes. And this helps to set the foundation for the lateral work that they might be doing later on in dressage. I do this at the walk. I do a little bit in trot, in hand, um, with all of these lateral work maneuvers. And I think it just really helps the horse become really solid in those movements. So later when you do do them under saddle, they're like, oh, this is easy. I do foam mat weight shifts and standing. So I have this really large gym mat uh, that I purchased off eBay. It's like a heavy duty mat that I get them to stand on. It's kind of like a wobble board for humans. So it really works on their body awareness and their balance. I do things like Spanish walk and school halt, which helps to, particularly the Spanish walk helps to free up their shoulder mobility, um, as well as work on their balance and proprioception as they have to balance on three legs as they lift the front leg higher. If you don't know what these things are, jump on over to my Instagram and you'll see examples of them. And the school halt really helps them to think about transferring their weight behind and lifting up um, one of their front legs. So again, prepares them for later on when they've got to shift their weight to the hind legs as we're all looking for in the higher levels of dressage. I teach them stepping under and over on the circle. Again, I wouldn't teach this until a basic circle has been established. I'll also teach them how to stretch on the circle. So stretching their over their back, stretching their nose down and forwards. And I do this without the use of any kind of side reins. Um, not because I'm anti side reins, but um, just because I like to teach the movement without them feeling like they're restricted in any way. Um, and I also like to do work on various terrain and surfaces, trot poles, cavalettis, jumps, etc. There is so much you can do um, with a young horse in terms of groundwork. And if you're running out of ideas, I'd really encourage you to A, either get into a course like my HFA or others. It doesn't have to be mine, but obviously I'm biased. I, I like mine, but <laughs> um, I think you you if you're struggling for ideas, because there are so many ideas, you really need some guidance. So whether that is joining a course or having an instructor out will make all the difference in terms of what you can do to prepare your horse for riding or complement the dressage work that you're going to do with your horse later on. Um, and as for loading, recently, this is kind of um, good because recently I um, put together, well, actually a little while ago, I put together a trailer loading roadmap for success for my HFA members. It's actually a bonus in HFA. When you join HFA, you get um, access to this float loading video um, just as a part of joining. The course doesn't specifically cover all the ins and outs of float loading, but this video will give you a amazing overview of all the individual steps. And um, it's only 30 minutes long. 
And I've actually decided to release this to the to everyone else who's not in HFA for just $9. So if you're interested in that, um, head on over to my website and click on shop. And I think there's an option there for you to get access to that. So basically the way I help a horse with loading, and it's great that you're considering this for a young horse because it's certainly something that they need to be prepared for down the track. Um, there is the prerequisites or the preparation stage. So there's certain things that I need a horse to be able to do before I even get to the float, right? Things like they need to be comfortable with me and my tools and, and learn how to respond to different body control maneuvers so that I actually have some kind of communication when I get to the float. Otherwise you're combining too many things when you get to the float, because if you realize that your cues to ask your horse to go forwards are not working at the float because you haven't really tried it before. Well, not only are in that moment, are you training your horse to get on the float, but you're training them to respond to a forward cue. And it's just going to be too much overload for the horse. So I teach you the prerequisites and preparation steps to do before you even get to the float. Then I teach you about, um, this is in this little 30 minute video. I teach you about the different steps to getting your horse actually into the float. Then I teach you the different steps to actually closing your horse in the float because that's a separate thing. And then I teach you the steps about actually traveling with a horse. So each of those components need to be broken down into small steps. I think often when it comes to trail learning, it's such a common problem I see in the horse world. And it's often an issue that I am called out for in person for in-person lessons. Usually we're combining way too many things at once and we're not rewarding that small, those small steps of progress. And if your horse has already had a bad experience on the float, it becomes a little bit harder to um, go over those steps. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you do go step by step, work on 1% progress each time and make sure that you're ticking off all of those individual steps and not skipping steps, then you should be able to get your horse on the float successfully. Have them travel happily, have them load happily anywhere, anytime by yourself. You don't need other people with you. You should be able to do it in less than 10 seconds um, and your horse loads every single time. So again, if you want some guidance around that, just head to my website. It's only a $9 video and um, it'll save you so much time and frustration at the tailgate, which we've probably or I can only speak for myself, but I've been there, the last person at a show when my horse wouldn't get on the float and it's just embarrassing and frustrating. And yeah, it's just not a fun time. But once you know the steps on how to load a horse onto the float, it won't be so daunting and it won't be so stressful and frustrating. Okay, so that's the first question. How long have I, I've already been speaking for almost 15 minutes. Okay, so um, we'll see how many questions we get through. There's literally um, 60, over 60 questions. So we're probably not going to get through them all, but I might have to do a few different episodes for this. Okay. So, um, now this next one is a bit of a long one. It says I'm definitely a conversationalist. So usually when I chat with people, it flows super organically. However, I would probably ask about background story, life-changing horse stories. Would love to know methodologies used for some of those cool tricks I've seen on Instagram haha, and people who inspire you, etc. Okay. That is like a whole podcast episode in itself. I think I have spoken about my background story in one of my earlier episodes um, with, 
I think one of my students, Emma, interviewed me in early on in the podcast. I can't remember exactly which episode, but if you scroll back, you'll hear more about my story there. Um, life-changing horror stories. I would say that uh, without going on a huge tangent, the life-changing horror story for me was when I got my two fillies who were one-year-olds at the time and I it dawned on me this huge responsibility of having young horses and wanting to give them the absolute best start in life and not knowing where to start. Seeing other horsemanship trainers work with my horses and have have them respond and connect so beautifully and me in that moment going, oh wow, there is a huge hole in my knowledge bank with when it comes to horses and feeling like a total beginner all over again. That was life-changing for me because that was the moment I committed myself to learning actually how to train horses, actually how to understand horses and horse training. So that was probably the biggest life-changing horse story. There's um, probably a lot more, but Again, 60 questions here that I've got to get through. So um, the next part, would love to know methodologies used for some of those cool tricks I've seen on Instagram. I can tell you straight away, it's CPRR, um, the acronym that I speak about in my free connection and communication mini course and that I take to the next level and show you how to use that in various ways in HFA. All the acronyms today. So, but just, you know, I'll give you a spoiler. So CPRR, Q, Pressure, Response, Release. Um, sorry, cue pressure, <laughs> release, reward. Don't even know my own acronym. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think a lot, most people know about pressure and release, right? So the cue um, is something that I put more emphasis on as well as the reward. And I've actually recently thought about adding an extra R to that acronym, which is relaxation. Because... Um, I've noticed that we're teaching people just want to move on to the next thing and we, we really need to prioritize relaxation before and after anything we ask our horses to do. Anyway, so the cue means that ultimately you won't have to use pressure um, when you train your horse so that um, you can eventually have a really crisp, clear and almost invisible communication with your horse because you've trained these individual cues. And the rewards for me, I do use positive reinforcement, not purely. I still use pressure release. Um, there are some pure positive reinforcement trainers out there who are fantastic. There are some things that I have trained with purely positive reinforcement, like the smile. I don't know how you would use pressure to teach a smile, really, apart from like maybe irritating the lip or something. I'm not sure. but um, So there's some things that I definitely have used with pure positive reinforcement. Um, and if you're not familiar with these terms positive and negative reinforcement. So negative reinforcement is, you know, in general pressure release. So it's the removal of something aversive um, to increase a behavior. Um, like putting your leg on, the horse goes forward, you take the leg off, right? Um, in, in a very basic, basic uh, example. And then positive reinforcement is when you add something desirable to increase a behavior. So that is when you might offer a food reward um, or a scratch on the wither or something that your horse likes in response to a behavior that you want to train. So I actually use combined reinforcement. I use pressure, release, and reward, but I 
try and train cues as much as possible so I don't have to use pressure um, but I'm comfortable using pressure also so there my that's my um, methodology I guess you could say there's a whole lot more to it in terms of um, you know the the bond with my horses the connection with my horses who I am my energy around them um, there's yeah it's not just techniques techniques are definitely important I teach techniques in HFA but it really is a self-development process when you get into horsemanship. So anyway, um, cool tricks. Yep. Yeah, so we've covered that. And people who inspire me, people who inspire me. I'm always looking for people that inspire me. And most of the guests I've had on the podcast so far are people that inspire me in some way. I haven't found one person that I am like, oh my gosh, you are the holy grail of horsemanship. I agree with 100% everything you do. <laughs> because to be honest, I just don't think anyone can find that person. I think we're all too individual. We all have our own uh, biases, our own experience, our own desires, our own goals. And I don't think anyone, I mean, maybe never say never. You never know. There might be someone out there who I haven't found yet who I think, yeah, you're amazing. And I want to be 100% like you. But I think that's also kind of healthy because it means that I can own who I am and who I want to be with horses and not necessarily make myself a carbon copy of someone else. But I will tell you about some people that I am really inspired by um, in general. So I, Karen Rolfe is probably one of the biggest influences for me. I feel like I was easily able to relate to her because she came from a mainstream background initially in dressage, so and so did I. And then she went into Pirelli and so did I. Um, and then she sort of started combining what she already knew with mainstream dressage and natural horsemanship to create dressage naturally. And I've pretty much consumed all of her content. I think she's an amazing teacher, trainer, um, and person, and I have a lot of respect for her. I did interview her on the podcast, so definitely listen to that episode. I also am inspired by a rider called Anya Berin. She's a classical dressage rider. She's her seat is exceptional. She's written a whole book about the seat, the dressage seat. It's called, um, I could watch her ride forever. I wish she had more content because I would literally just watch her all day because she's just so soft with the horses. And yeah, I just really admire her technical riding abilities. I'm also a huge fan of Ingrid Klimke. I know she's more mainstream, obviously, but hey, I've actually seen her, you know, ride in a neck rope and do a little bit of stuff at Liberty. So just because people don't promote that that's what they do doesn't mean it's not happening. I think she's an incredible rider. Obviously, she's at the top of her field in both eventing and dressage, which is phenomenal. She comes from um, a dressage background, uh, sorry, a, a, a horsey background with her dad, obviously being Dr. Reiner Klimke, um, or Klimke. I'm not sure if it's Klimke or Klimke, but anyway, I'll alternate between the two. Uh, I just think she's just such a phenomenal rider. She's just an exceptional rider. Um, I'm trying to think who else inspires me off the top of my head. Um, all of my, like I said, or everyone that I have had on the podcast definitely inspires me for sure. I've got a lot of friends who are exceptional with horses too. Um, Nikki, Nikki's Horsemanship, NZ Mares, 
there's, you know, so many people on Instagram who are doing amazing things, but aren't necessarily famous. So they all inspire me as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'd say my main ones are, and I think I have mentioned them on the podcast, Karen Rolfe, Anya Barron, and Ingrid Klimke. Okay, next question. My horse is not very forward thinking in the arena and I would like to improve that, but not with too much pressure as he is sensitive and shuts down. Okay, so I actually have a whole podcast episode on this. I can't remember again what number it is, but scroll back. There's a whole episode on how to help your quote unquote lazy horse um, or unmotivated horse uh, be more forward and positive thinking um, when you ride. I think there's like 18 or 19 ideas in there in terms of how to help you get your horse more forward thinking. But interesting that you question that you had um, in the arena there. So that tells me that perhaps outside the arena, your horse is more forward. Um, and that says to me that perhaps they're not enjoying so much what you do in the arena. So try and make the arena a more enjoyable place. There is a point to point exercise that's really good for this again, that I talk about in that episode. Um, and, but with not too much pressure as he sends him and shuts down, I totally get that point as well. Um, I would try and reframe pressure as a positive thing to your horse. And when I say a positive thing, I mean, obviously it's still aversive, but you need to show them that there is an answer to the way that you're using pressure, that they can control the amount of pressure that is used if the correct response is given. I'm assuming that you've already considered things like um, pain or discomfort when it comes to going forwards, because they can be things that can inhibit your horse from wanting to be more forward in the arena as well. It could be that you just need more enjoyment, that you need to find something that your horse actually enjoys, maybe do obstacles or jumping or something to make it more enjoyable for your horse. But yeah, I would just say to that question, go listen to that episode. It's earlier on and it gives you a lot of thoughts in terms of how to help your horse be more forward thinking in the arena. Next question, how to deepen my relationship with my horse, how to stop my horse from putting his ears back when girthing and making my horse go off the leg. Okay, making my horse go off the leg, go back and listen to that episode about helping your horse be more forward. How to deepen my relationship with my horse. Um, so in a nutshell for, for that, and this is something I mentioned in the connection and communication mini course. And I know a lot of other trainers talk about this concept as well. And it's the relationship bank account. So I always think about, uh, I would like my bank account to be in the pluses, right? So anything that I do with my horse, that is something that my horse likes, I am adding deposits into that bank account, or even if it's just a neutral, um, thing. So the horse doesn't necessarily like it, but they don't not like it. You know, it's just like undemanding time where you're just hanging out with them. They're also deposits into the relationship bank account. Withdrawals from the relationship bank account could be any time that you're asking a horse to do things that they don't like. Anytime you're having to use a lot of pressure. Um, I think traveling on the float or going to a big stressful show can be withdrawals. So I mean, it's really anything that you think, oh yeah, I, I feel like that was a lot to ask my horse that, that is, um, or anything that consumes a lot of energy is also a withdrawal from the bank account because most horses are energy conservative. Um, but yeah, so I would think about adding more pluses to that bank account. So spending lots of undemanding time, maybe some grazing time, 
But I also want to um, add that just doing these things all the time uh, isn't, isn't necessarily going to deepen your relationship with your horse with when it comes to communication. I believe you can deepen your relationship with your horse when you have a more clear communication. So when you know how to communicate to your horse's body and mind both on the ground and in the saddle with 100% clarity from both of you, that is going to deepen your relationship. Because what is a relationship without communication, right? So I would make sure that you're doing those things to put deposits in the bank account, but also make sure that you're working on getting clear communication. And again, if you don't know how to do that, start with the free connection and communication mini course. And if you want to take the next step, jump into HFA. I feel like a bit of a broken record with these things, but so many of these questions, I literally answer the nitty gritty how to with demonstrations with horses, etc., within that academy. How to stop my horse from putting his ears back when girthing. Immediately I think, okay, we'll check the saddle fit, um, make sure that the girth's the correct one, make sure the horse isn't in pain in their back. And then I would just take the process really slow. Like let's let's kind of shape that out. So if we think about like, can you rub your hand all over the horse's belly and you don't get a reaction? Like look for when you're, when you're not getting a reaction and the first the first sign of a reaction. So it might be that you can rub your horse's back, but as soon as you start to slide your hand down a little bit more towards the girth, that's when they give you a reaction. Now you would know if you've cleared out pain, etc., that that's something that the horse can learn to find neutral again. Um, so they, they don't have a negative reaction to it. So I would just approach and retreat until I get no reaction to that. And then I would see if I can go a little bit further down, work in the... Um, under the belly and all of these things they might be shaped out over a number of sessions not within one session then I might see if I can get the girth and rubber all over their body can I rub the girth under where the girth goes and further back and up on their bum and see if there are any reactions there and again approach and retreat until I don't get a, an ears back reaction I might also use what's called counter conditioning, which is when you give the horse a treat um, for for a behavior that's, or not necessarily a behavior, but um, for a experience. So I would like them to associate the experience of being girthed with something pleasant. So I might always give them a small treat when I do up the girth. Anyway, so in general, I would approach and retreat, break it down into smaller steps to help your horse not put their ears back when girthing and of course check out pain and saddle fear etc okay so i'm just going to go to a short break and when we come back we will answer the question of how did you get started on your journey um and what is your favorite way to spend your undermanding time with your horse and what miscommunication do you see between people and their horses most frequently okay let's go to a short break Hey, it's HFA student Sam. I'm from South Australia. Before I started HFA, I was struggling to structure sessions with my horse and I was lacking confidence. There were holes in my training, but I was almost too scared to explore them as I felt I didn't have the right support to offer my horse. I really like the format of the online platform as it's easy to follow and Amali has added so many bonuses. Since joining HFA, I now have a deeper connection and understanding of my horse. I feel confident, clear and motivated. 
Amalia gives you the tools and knowledge to be able to have that really special relationship with your horse. So if you're thinking about joining HFA, you should absolutely take the plunge and join the community. There is something to take away from it, regardless of where you are at in your horse world. Hi, my name is Beck and I'm from sunny Queensland. I originally joined HFA because I was having troubles understanding my horse, Sander. He's a three-year-old off the track and we were having some serious personality um, issues. We we'd clashed and it was almost to the point where I thought I would have to sell him because I just had no idea what to do. Um, the difference a year later that has made to Xander and I's relationship is huge. I, I can understand him on a level that I never could understand. I never thought I could understand a horse before. I've had horses in the past and I wish I knew earlier. I, he can read my body language. I can read his body language. The behavioural issues are gone because I'm now taking a step back and really considering what I'm seeing and not just um, assuming and really listening to what he's saying. I, I can now take him out. I can now float him. I, our riding has improved. Um, everything about our relationship has improved. And I am so glad I joined this program. I'm so glad I kept Xander and I would really highly recommend giving it a go. If you're having troubles or if you've thought about natural horsemanship before, um, it is the best thing you could do. Okay, so next question. How did you get started on your journey? That's all right now and I was just generally curious. So again, I think I mentioned this earlier in a podcast episode where Emma interviewed me, um, but and I've sort of spoken about it already for when I got with when I got the two mares uh, at a young age. But my horse journey in general started when I was probably about five or six with weekly riding lessons, half an hour riding lessons once a week, which I lived for. Uh, and I did little school, uh, not school camps, but horse camps and things. Um, so yeah, we didn't, I didn't, wasn't in a horsey family, but my mum was loved horses and really wanted to get her own horse. So she knew I was interested in horses also. So she uh, supported that interest and enrolled me in lessons and then eventually we moved to a property I got my own pony I went to pony club and riding club and yeah just sort of worked my way up had various horses competed started competing in different disciplines and um yeah all the all the way through um with eventing and dressage and then yeah fast forward to the horsemanship turning point which is when I got the two young mares which I spoke about earlier and my whole life changed because I realized that even though I had been around horses for a long time I didn't really know the first thing about training them or about horse psychology or really understanding them um, or anything horsemanship in general don't get me wrong I was I still knew a lot of things and I was still a great rider I just there was a huge hole in my knowledge in that area okay so Next up, what is your favorite way to spend your undemanding time with your horses? Hmm, I guess that varies. So sometimes I just like to hang out with them in the paddock. And this is especially on days, which is really rare for me, but on days where I'm like, ah, I don't really, I kind of don't want to ride today. Like I can't 
really be bothered tacking up and leading them all the way to the arena because my paddocks are a bit far from my arena. Um, And I just go, okay, it's one of those days I'm literally just going to go and hang out with them. And I just spend some time with them, finding their itchy spots, maybe doing nothing at all, just taking in the environment, which is, I don't, I don't probably do enough of that. It's, I'm the sort of person who loves to be on the go, loves to do things. So it's, it's nice that I can do that, but again, probably need to do a little bit more. So that is one of my favorite ways of spending undemanding time with my horses. But I also pepper in a lot of undemanding time within a session. So I will have grazing breaks during a ride. I will spend five or 10 minutes just letting them graze before I bring them up to the top and um, and start getting them ready for the session. So I, I try and be mindful of not rushing through things and showing the horse that, hey, there's little breaks here and there. I call them brain breaks or grazing breaks, but really it's just undemanding time that separates the session and I think accelerates their learning. What miscommunication do you see between people and their horses most frequently? Hmm, this is a really good question. I like this. I would say it is, well, it's not miscommunication. It's a lack of communication. People often haven't even established clear communication on the ground. Um, and they're really just kind of just trying to get the job done. They're just trying to get through and survive. And I don't want people just to survive. I want people to thrive with horses. I want it to be really clear between horse and rider how they're communicating with each other. So it's not necessarily a miscommunication. It's a complete lack of communication. Um, And once you experience clear communication with a horse where you can ask them to move off of a very light cue, both on the ground and in the saddle, you can't go back and, and you realize, wow, like how was I doing things before? It's just, yeah, it's just incredible. But anyway, okay, next one. Do you feel that people are particularly demanding of horses because we view them as working livestock instead of as pets? Um, yes, I think that people in general can be demanding with horses because traditionally that's how we've always treated them because they have been livestock, they have been working horses, war horses, etc. But I do think the shift is changing, you know, like I think society in general is changing. I think the horse world is changing. I think deep down we all like to treat our horses as pets, but I still think it's important to have boundaries. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with quote unquote, like working your horse or asking them to do things. Um, And, you know, sometimes I think I see horses who have a specific job and they look perfectly content with what they're doing. So it's not uh, necessarily that we're demanding lots of horses. um, If we're asking them to work, it doesn't have to be work. doesn't have to be a bad thing. Uh, but I do think traditionally we, there is a culture of expecting the horse to work for us, you know, like, oh, well, you know, for 24 hours, 23 hours of the day, they get to relax. So for one hour, they can do what I say kind of thing. It's like, yeah, I get it. But I think it can also be a lot better deal for the horse. Um, Okay, so I think this person misinterpreted the question because 
she's he or she said what happened to you before you were rescued from the field i'm like rescued from the field was i rescued from a field um but i think she's talking to her horse um so what happened to you before you were rescued from the field why don't you like your head is being touched what is your favorite thing to do in the arena so cool um love that you're thinking about your horse in those question in uh in response to that question i can't answer the first and third, but perhaps with the head and ears, not liking the head or ears being touched, perhaps have had a negative experience with the ears or and the head, or they just naturally don't like their head or ears being touched. And I would use approach and retreat and counter conditioning to help the horse be more comfortable um, and confident with the head and ears being touched. Fun fact, Harriet, one of my horses, Harriet, she had a injury to her ear as a foal and as a result needed some veterinary care. And because of that, she she was quite head shy when I got her. But it honestly didn't take long for me with approach and retreat. This is actually even before I even dabbled in horsemanship, before she was actually totally fine with her head and ears. And I don't really have any issues with it since. So I do think that you can override a negative experience with enough positive experiences. Okay, next one. How to best work with a horse that thinks he's part shark. (laughs) Okay, how to communicate with your horse that everything is okay. How to help your horse find calm. Okay, so I'm thinking if your horse, if you feel like your horse thinks he's part shark, I'm guessing maybe like they're a little bit aggressive perhaps. So I would try and think, um, let me know if there is a different explanation. I'm, I guess, I'm guessing that shark would mean that they're an aggressive horse. But anyway, um, think about the reasons why this horse might be aggressive for a start. Again, pain, discomfort. Um, perhaps they've, it's worked for them. It's a learned behavior. But I would first and foremost keep yourself safe. Make sure that you've got boundaries. I, I'd like, I want to be able to listen to my horses, but I also want to let them know that, hey, like even if you're in com- in discomfort or pain or something, it's still not okay to bite me or, you know, charge me or run me over. I will listen to your more subtle communication around that, but it's still not okay to bowl me over or whatever. Like you've got to keep yourself safe. Um, so I would say that perhaps you need some communication around boundaries. So teaching your horse how to back up, teaching your horse how to lead from a distance, making sure that you are able to keep what I call concrete feet. So keep your hand, your feet still, um, make sure that you're not moving your feet in response to your horse, because if they know that you're movable in the small moments, in the large moments, they'll think you're going to get out the way when really they'll just bowl you over. Um, so yeah, probably boundaries with that one. How to communicate with your horse that everything is okay. This is something that is built up over time through building trust, confidence, connection, communication, all those fundamentals, particularly through groundwork tasks, um, through your boundaries as well, but particularly through that communication. I think a lot of horses, and I tell my students this all the time, clear communication brings about relaxation. So if you can effectively communicate to your horse clearly, in the moments where they're not okay, you'll be able to redirect their thoughts, approach and retreat safely so that you can show them that they're okay. Horses are flight animals. I don't think that will ever 
um, bomb proof a horse without shutting them down. Um, there will be times where they're worried about things. So it's really good for people to have a toolkit of things that they can use in those moments where their horse is showing them that they're worried or scared or afraid or tense or nervous, etc. all the words that people use. And I talk about a confidence and relaxation toolkit. And this is where I go over all of the different techniques um, that help a horse be more comfortable and relaxed with a perhaps a scary object or their environment, etc. So whenever your horse is scared, I want people to immediately think about that toolbox so they can work through each of those things. It, it might be that a particular technique works with a horse um, better than other techniques, but you're not going to know that until you trial and error. So I'd encourage you to try all of those different techniques with your particular horse in different situations to see what works. And then you'll come up with your own customized kind of plan for your horse to show them that everything is okay and to help them find their calm in situations where they are a little bit worried. And that's Confidence and Relaxation Toolkit is everything that I teach in module three inside of Horsemanship Fundamentals Academy. Um, they're things like systematic desensitization, which is basically approach and retreat. They're things like approach conditioning, counter conditioning, overshadowing, um, asking for permission, waiting, stimulus blending. So many different techniques you can use to help your horse be calm, confident, relaxed in those scary situations. And if you don't know what those things are, of course you can look them up, but I show you how to actually implement them in HFA. So again, that's in module three of HFA. Um, and it's not as simple as just telling your horse like, hey, you're okay. Like there's literally steps that you need to go to to show your horse that they can be calm and confident with whatever that they're worried about. Um, and it takes repetition. You might need to go through those techniques multiple times before your horse starts to kind of generalize and go, oh, okay, this is sort of, I mean, who knows exactly if they think like this, but this is sort of like that last situation where everything turned out to be okay. So I can trust this owner in this situation as well. I feel like the more experiences, the more difficult circumstances you go through with your horse, where your horse comes out the other side going, oh, I survived, the more confident that they're going to be. But if you don't have a strategy, you have no idea how to help your horse be calm, or you have no idea how to communicate to your horse that everything is okay, then you need to learn how, <laughs> and you need to learn those techniques and understand your relaxation um, and confidence toolkit. Using, the next question is using rewards, treat-based training. How do I stop it asking, looking for food every time she sees me? How can I manage, reduce her anxiety? What owner techniques can I use to help me cope better? Okay, so, this question, I recently added like a 10 minute video on this inside of HFA because it is something that people struggle with a lot, especially when they start to use treats. I would say that if you are new to horsemanship, perhaps lay off using treats to begin with and really learn how to master the use of pressure and release. So cue, pressure, release, followed by relaxation. Um, learn how to do that really well before you start to add treats in, um, especially if you have a really foodie horse or they get really anxious around treats and food because it's going to be a lot more complex. 
Whereas if you just stick to pressure and release, it's a lot more clear. Maybe you just use a treat when you catch them or something, you know, so it's still, they're still getting a positive association with you, but with your training, you learn how to use pressure and release first. Now, this is different to what many of my colleagues might suggest, um, particularly the pure positive reinforcement trainers. But my preference is that you have an understanding of how to use pressure and release first. The majority of the equestrian world uses pressure and release. Um, and I think it's really important for safety to have strong boundaries um, to be able to use pressure to motivate a response. But if you are using rewards or treat-based training, make sure that you're using a really low value treat because if they're really excited about the treat and really want the treat so bad, that's gonna increase your horse's anxiety and emotions around the treats. And then they're gonna be asking and looking for the food more and more. So make sure it's something they want, but they're kind of okay if they don't get it. So something really basic like a hay pellet or chaff. The other thing is before you start using treats in training, you wanna teach your horse um, to keep their head in a kind of neutral position when they're accepting a food reward. And you will see a little snippet of this on my Instagram. There is a, I think it's a beautiful video of Beauty doing a Spanish walk. There's a beautiful sunset in the background and I've used positive reinforcement to train this particular um, movement. And at the end, she's like looking and pestering for the treat because she knows she's done a great job. And you'll see me wait until she puts her head in the treat receiving position before I give her the treat. So even when you've moved past showing your horse how to keep their head still and stationary to receive a treat, even when you've moved past that and you've moved on to different behaviors and movements, every time you give a treat, make sure that your horse is not at your pocket, not at your, you know, pestering your side. The head has to be in that middle position for you to give them the reward. Um, so that, that should help with the whole pestering situation. I have a video in HFA on how to teach your horse to keep their head still. So I call it treat manners, um, when you're using treats as well. So that's something to look out for if you're in the academy. Okay. Well, I feel like that's a lot of questions. I don't know exactly how many I've got through already, but um, hopefully that has helped you. If I'm guessing some of you might have similar questions to those that I've gone through today, there's still a whole lot more. So I might do another episode answering um, more of these questions. There might be some overlap though. So I might have to go through them and actually select the ones because I'm seeing already that there's some double up of questions that are being asked. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let me know if you did enjoy it. I don't often post solo episodes. So let me know if you do like when I'm just rambling on about horsemanship things or answering your questions. And do let me know if you have your own questions that I can add to the list by messaging me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses um, or just emailing me, which you can find out my email on my website. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Maybe take a screenshot, send them a text or a message with it, share it on social media. The more people that we can get the podcast out to, I believe the horse world will be a better place. So thank you again for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. 
And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses or my website, AmaliaDempsey.com, where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence, and I'll see you in the next episode. 